Welcome to Mind, America's Lignite Energy Podcast, brought to you by the Lignite Energy Council of North Dakota. Here's your hosts, Kate Muggerud and Jeff Simon. Welcome, you guys. Thank you so much. We are starting off a new season. We are on season four. Jeff, can you believe we have season four here of Mind, Lignite Energy in America? We've been mining a long time, Kate. It's, uh, yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> Hey, and you know what? Uh, congrats on being named one of the top 2020 uh, energy podcasts of last year. That's pretty cool. That is cool. Yeah, we're, we're really excited about that. So we're kicking off this season here with a bang, you guys. Um, we have the privilege of having Congresswoman Michelle Fishbach with us today. Michelle, thanks so much for joining us. Well, it's my pleasure. I'm excited to be on, you know, one of the top rated podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna lie I did kind of use that with my family and throw that around every now and then about being the star of the pot top rated podcast so I, I think we can use that to our advantage all right that'll be great <laughs> well no thank you so much for having me on I really appreciate talking about you know really important issues that are facing the country Absolutely. Um, Michelle, for some of our viewers, can you kind of just fill them in on um, what your role is, you know, where you're at day to day, what your, your position is? Well, you know, I was elected to Congress about mm, about 10 months ago now. Uh, you know, if I, 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 if I wish I knew exactly how many days I've been there, but, uh, you know, ran in 2020. And, uh, you know, and right now we are, we're still kind of under the COVID restrictions. So we're spending a little more time than we would, I think, under normal circumstances. Now, granted, I don't, people tell me about it. I don't have anything uh, personal experience to compare it to, but we're about two weeks in DC and then about two weeks at home. So that's a little most, uh, they usually say it's about three weeks in DC and one week at home, but you know, day to day. And right now I'll tell you, we're coming to you live from, uh, 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 from Marshall, Minnesota. We were at an event this morning and then we're heading off to another event this afternoon. So uh, the, uh, the city of Marshall was kind enough to let us use their, their, uh, their conference room to, uh, to do the podcast today. But, you know, day to day, we spend a lot of time um, traveling around the district. We I'm, I have one of the largest districts uh, in the country, which, uh, you know, is, uh, goes all the way from Canada and just, just short of Iowa. Uh, so we border Canada, North and South Dakota, and uh, just a few counties at the bottom of, uh, at the bottom of Minnesota that separate us from Iowa. So it's eight, about eight hours drive from end to end. So we're spending a lot of time out in the district talking to people you know, we campaigned during COVID. So it was a little bit different for us. So we didn't get out and about as much. We made a lot of phone calls, lots of Zoom meetings. Um, so it's really nice to be out on the road talking to people. And uh, and then earlier, you know, we do when we do get to DC, we're voting on bills. I sit on the rules committee. I sit on the agriculture committee and I sit on the judiciary committee. So we're hearing, uh, we're hearing, having a few hearings. We're hearing some bills. Uh, recently we've had, uh, you know, we had uh, the uh, debt, the debt ceiling vote. So we were in DC for that not that long ago. So, you know, day to day, I get a little bit of everything. Um, you know, I can be at, uh, at, uh, I'm heading out to the sugar beet harvest this afternoon. And, uh, you know, and so, uh, you know, there's a lot, always something going on um, that we're involved in and just a great variety of things that we either attend and we do and talk to people all over the district. Uh, Michelle, we're obviously going to talk about energy in this podcast, and uh, your district is primarily agriculture-oriented, I think, and obviously agriculture is a very energy-intensive business. What do you hear from your constituents about energy policy in America? What's 
what's what's the sort of feedback you get on some of the kind of crazy stuff that's going on in Washington days? Well, and I'll tell you, we are one of the top ag producing uh, districts in the country, and we hear a lot about energy because you know there's so much going on right now with kind of the uh, the craziness of the Green New Deal and the really hard push to move to those things that uh, you know that aren't that aren't going to work for agriculture. They're just not going to work. You know, I was, we were in a, I was out to, uh, in a, in one of the big gigantic tractors not that long ago. And I said, so how does this work on solar? And he laughed at me, um, <laughs> you know, um, because, and, and, and where are you going to plug this guy in? You know, but it, it, it's just, I, I think that some of the time, and what I do hear from people is they just don't understand rural areas. They don't understand, you know, what it's like to produce, you know, to, to be an ag producer. And, um, and so when they're pushing those kinds of, and when I say, you know, those folks that are talking about the Green New Deal and, and tend to be urban folks that don't understand what's going on in rural Minnesota and what it really takes, um, you know, to produce crops and, and feed the world. And so they're, they're, they have these unrealistic goals they also like to blame farmers a lot about, you know, on the, on the issues of the climate, you know, climate change and things like that and, and are trying to push regulations. That's what I hear about, you know, from those, from those farmers is these are unrealistic things that they are talking about. It's, it's tough to deal with people who think food comes from the grocery store and electricity comes out of the wall, you know? Yeah, I, I, often, I often chuckle when they talk about these electric cars, you know, and they, they're, they're the greatest thing, but then they say, oh, but it all has to be solar or it all has to be wind. And we have to be realistic as we increase that, um, you know, that demand for electricity is we have to have reliable electricity we have to have real you know uh real energy sources and you know we had a really good example in texas not that long ago about what we don't want to happen mm-hmm. yeah that's so true i i had, was living in texas and you know kind of was hearing from friends and family that were still there and i'm, I'm thinking you know during that outage i never could have foreseen that i'm sure so many people were like in shock of really truly is this happening but I think that really you know put in our brains how important it is to have that reliable um, source of fuel there so I mean I can't agree with you more yeah absolutely and we have to and on the federal level we really have to focus on that it's making sure that we are talking about reliable um, and 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 when I mentioned our our dependence on electricity is going up and up and up and and they're being they're pushing that on the federal level we need to make sure it's reliable and that's going to be and dependable and it and we have the kind of infrastructure we need to deliver that mm-hmm. Michelle, what do you think what do we really need to do to get that point across about reliability a lot of people you know i don't think they understand how electricity is produced i mean it's it's really the one commodity that is consumed the instant it is produced and if you don't have it to be produced, you can't consume it. Obviously, the lights go out. How do you convince people or how do you educate the general public that really doesn't seem to understand this? Well, I think Texas was a great example because we saw that, you know, that was real life and this was really happening to people. And I think we need to continue to educate. We need to make sure that they understand. I think that, you know, those folks, you know, when I do talk to in particular, like I said, in my area with the farmers, they understand um, the needs for, um, you know, reliable because they're, they're 
uh, they depend on it and they need to make sure because they need to um, deal with it every day. But I think that we need to continue to educate. We need to make sure that they, particularly in Washington, D.C., that they are hearing about what's going on and that they are, that we are doing, you know, we've been encouraging. I, I will, I do have to say that I think that, um, that the Ag Committee um, that I sit on hasn't been doing the kinds of hearings that I would like to see, you know, we had a big one on climate change, and it was very, you know, uh, pretty much just a pro Green New Deal kind of um, anti any kind of traditional fuels. Um, and I was I was disappointed to see that. And I think that we need to continue to push that the Ag Committee, um, in my case, you know, to have the right kinds of hearings, to have the right kinds of people testifying, so that um, people can understand better. Mm -hmm. Now, I kind of want to talk about segue into the reconciliation bill. Can you talk a little bit about that first, you know, just a brief overview of that? And then, I, you know, I know there's a green energy initiative and, and the incentivizes utilities to kind of move away from, from that dispatchable sources of electricity. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Well, I'll tell you a little bit about that reconciliation bill. You know, that has been, we've been talking about that for a while. It's 3.5 trillion. Um, and that's what right now what we're talking about, but that is um, a significant dollars into the future. You know, there's there's estimates that it could be, you know, 68 million in the next 10 years um, or excuse me, 68 trillion in the next eight years. And so, you know, it it continues to go up and grow. And I have real issues with the reconciliation bill. It is uh, we really should not be spending this kind of money on the kinds of things. And, you know, there's there's Green New Deal things. And, and I use that very broadly, you know, but but I think you guys know what I'm what I'm getting at when I use that term. You know, it, it is it is laced throughout this, uh, throughout um, the the spending, the programs, the social programs that they're putting in there, and you know, it's it 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 is. I think it's going to into the future really cause us issues as we push and push um, towards that without making sure that we are doing, uh, you know that they are reliable. And I will use that term a lot because that is the key to it, is making sure that they are reliable sources. And I don't think they do that. I think they continue to push and have these unrealistic kinds of um, ideas. But, um, but the reconciliation bill, you know, they are tying it right now to that infrastructure bill mm -hmm. that's about a trillion dollars itself. And so, and, and the, the Democrats are fighting amongst themselves about how to get this through. We've had a couple of false starts on it, uh, how we're good, they're going to push it through. But I am very concerned about the spending, and I think that the infrastructure bill causes a lot of issues, too. Um, you know, that that does hold those um, uh, holds a lot of money for uh, electric cars, uh, pushes things like that, um, Green New Deal issues, uh, renewable energy kinds of things. And... Um, I don't know. I'm assuming that we are going to deal with that when we go back to D.C. We go back to D.C. this week sometime, but they they continue to struggle with how their caucus is going to address it. And, and then, you know, the Senate is in there with the with Senator Manchin saying things like, well, I'm not going to spend that much. I'll vote for something lower. And so they may still be negotiating it for a couple more months. You know, this is one of those bills, particularly to paraphrase Nancy Pelosi, uh, who likes to pass bills to find out what's in it. This is one you want to make sure you know what's in it before you act on it, because there's a lot of bad things kind of kind of hidden in there. Um, to ask you a larger question about it, Bill, um, you know, 
the Democrats uh, seem to be pushing this idea because they think it, you know, we need economic stimulus. And, you know, honestly, I, I think a lot of people in, in your district and uh, in North Dakota, where we're based with the lignite industry, we got a pretty good sense that the economy is doing fine. It's coming back and recovering quite nicely on its own. Why do we even need this? I would absolutely agree with that. I do, and, and one of the things that I hear as I travel across the district is workforce needs is everybody is trying to hire people. And, you know, you look at this infrastructure bill, and we were talking about this one day, you look at the infrastructure bill, and they're like, oh, it'll create jobs. But do we have the people to fill those jobs at this point? You know, and it may cause more, more problem than, than it, it helps, because we don't I mean won't necessarily have those people, and we'll have an increase in jobs. And we had, you know, the, the, unemployment report where people are leaving their jobs and all kinds of things like that. And that's, that workforce is a huge, huge issue. And so as we, we, in, in, in the, um, in, I believe it's in 3.5 trillion, they, they've become so, so uh, connected that I forget which is in which bill, but, <laughs> but the 3.5 trillion, you know, they've got this, they create this new conservation core. Mm-hmm. And they spend billions of dollars on um, putting people to work, you know, on the Green New Deal, on climate change issues. And uh, to pull those people out of the private, you know, because obviously these are probably people who are who want to work, so they're, they may have a job or looking for a job, whatever, but they're part of our workforce. Pull them out of private industry, pull them out of the ag industry where we need people, pull them out of, you know, the infrastructure, wherever it may be, to um, to create federal employees. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think that the economy would do much better if we would get out of the way, because we are, we have, we had so many setbacks during COVID when we had all the shutdowns and all the things going on, that we need to let it get back. And uh, workforce is going to be the biggest issue, I think, on that. But we do not need to um, try to stimulate by dumping a bunch of uh, money that we don't have. Um, plain and simple, we don't have that money. This is all, uh, you know, uh, continued debt. And, um, and instead, we need to get those people back to work. Yeah. To, to try to bring it home to your district again, Michelle, maybe this, this idea about reliability and the importance of it. You know, the, the predominant utilities serving District 7 are Minkota Power Cooperative uh, is the co-ops and Ottertail Power Reserves uh, much of the uh, the investor-owned community, if you will, of the urban areas. Um, both of those utilities uh, operate uh, lignite coal mine or coal plants, actually here in in North Dakota, um, and that's obviously important to your district. But going back to your days in the Minnesota Senate and state politics, there seems to be a lot of pressure coming out of the Capitol there to uh, to get rid of coal. In fact, there. Are the Public Utilities Commission there is really right now standing in the way of the sale of Colt Creek Station here to a new owner, which is contemplating a carbon capture system, which makes the, the coal plant green. Um, just kind of talk about maybe a little bit of uh, what your constituents can do to, to put some pressure on the folks in St. Paul. Well, and, and they need to be, you know, people who, um, who see the ridiculousness of, you know, as you kind of mentioned, you know, they're, they're fighting this to do this and, and it doesn't, it, it doesn't make sense what they are doing. And as I recall, when I was in the state legislature, I recall the, uh, the lawsuit um, about the coal, uh, coal plant in North Dakota 
Um, and uh, fortunately, they lost that um, because it, it was one of those things that didn't make sense. We needed the electricity. Um, but, um, you know, we need to, our, my constituents do need to reach out. I know there's a lot of great, um, lot of great senators and representatives in the 7th District who do support, you know, making sure that we have, you know, reliable, affordable um, electricity. And, um, and I know that they, they will continue to work on the PUC and try to push, you know, make sure that they're making policies that make sense. Um, you know, the, the Biden administration, they are really pushing, uh, pushing this kind of this false narrative about the fact that we do need to go to those, uh, you know, we need to be 100% renewable by X dates. I think, I think we need to be a little more organic. And yes, we can encourage those renewables, but we certainly can't just cut it off and say, you know, give some artificial date that we need to be renewable by. And um, that was one of the things, you know, on the on the state level, I was there when we were working on some of those at the state level. And that always did bother me that we need it to be more natural and let, let us develop those at a more natural rate instead of these artificial dates that we're giving. Yeah, let the market make the, the yep. decision, huh? How about that? Absolutely. And, and, you know, they'll probably do much better um, than, than they would actually do under those, you know, artificial dates, because they will be, they will want to be, um, you know, innovating, and they will have the ability to without those rules and regulations and all of those, you know, federal and uh, federal and state mandates that they're having to follow, they will be far more in, uh, you know, inventive and creative than we would be, you know, by putting those mandates on them. Yeah. Um. I was just reading not too long ago to the art governor in North Dakota shared an update on, on the efforts there to create a pipeline system that, you know, would capture that carbon dioxide off biofuel plants, um, which, you know, interesting, this would allow the biofuels created in your district specifically to be sold as green fuel in California. Um, so what are your thoughts on how the states could work together um, and kind of promote innovation instead of like we were just discussing that regulation. Well, and I will just say the biofuels are awesome. And we, I think we really have, um, you know, when I was in the state legislature, we, you know, we, we talked a lot about those and we're encouraging them and did all kinds of things to promote them. And I think that, and one of the things we always talked about is that it was good for the environment. And I am very disappointed that now under all of this climate change talk we talked about, we just completely forget about biofuels. And we are, you know, trying very hard to push them aside and forget about, you know, what all of those that could be part of the solution when particularly when we're a great ag district and we would encourage, we would love to do more. We would love to be helpful, um, but very disappointing. But the, the project in North Dakota, is a great project. And as a matter of fact, uh, one of uh, uh, one of our uh, staff members was just over at a conference on it. And so we've been keeping in touch. You know, it really would create new markets for the biofuel, the local biofuel products and, um, you know, I think this is something that we really, um, we really need to encourage and we are, we are happy to, you know, work with North Dakota, work with the governor, whatever we could do on the federal level, you know, if there's red tape that we can deal with or get rid of, um, and um, 
certainly hope that there are we we will um, discourage additional mandates and federal regulations on things that we can't because this is something creative that they are doing and we need to make sure this is the kinds of things we're encouraging um, because this is uh, something that will be helpful in the future and uh, it's good for the local economy, good for the you know good for the economy in general and we need to make sure that we are doing whatever we can to either get out of the way and not create new regulations because that's where that's where it gets really ugly. <laughs> there is a very serious prospect in North Dakota. I mean, actually developing a carbon industry, if you will, or more, more precise mm -hmm. business model that uh, develops storage of carbon dioxide. Um, you know, uh, Minn Kota's Milton, our young station, they're looking at Project Tundra there to capture, capture and store carbon dioxide. And as I mentioned, the same could be happening at Coal Creek Station between Washburn and, and Underwood. Um, what is the sense that you get from Washington these days, at least to this point, the Biden administration has been supportive of the 45Q tax credits for CO2 storage. Um, do you encourage that? Do you see your uh, constituency supporting that? Is that something we're going to uh, continue to pursue? Is it, is it considered clean energy then? I mean, we are capturing the CO2, right? Well, I, I will say this. We need to make sure, you know, because uh, it, it, they're, they're, they're talking a lot about, you know, the ag industry being involved in that and being, so what we've been talking about right now and what I think farmers in particular are concerned about is that they won't be the ones that get the short end of the stick, <laughs> that we need to make sure that there is a fair way that this is being dealt with and those carbon markets are, are dealt with um, so that everybody is, you know, can have their opportunity to be involved, but be fair, be involved and have a fair shake on it because that's that's what I've heard from farmers right now is that make sure that we're getting our uh, a fair deal in this. Yeah, absolutely. Is that you know when you do talk? I know you talked a little bit at the beginning about when you talk with your constituents. What's the overall? Is there an overall theme that you're hearing from them specifically relating to this? Well, I think maybe even overall theme is you know they are they are ready and willing to work and they just want the government out of their way <laughs> so that's the biggest theme i hear a lot you know whether it be with energy whether it be with workforce you know because for a while there with workforce you know the government was paying people to stay at home and that was just wrong and and so you know whether i think the the you know whether it be with any of those issues it's like just get out of our way we want to work they and farmers in general are you know good conservationists they they it's their land. They need to make sure that it stays healthy. And, um, and so I, it, I bet you if I, if that would be the theme of my district, it was, you know, get the government out of my way. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you've had kind of a, I was just looking at a little bit of your career and kind of like where you started. I mean, you kind of, how's that transition gone? I can't imagine from legislator to Congress. It must be different, right? You know, it, it is different in the sense that, you know, I, I, I like to be at home and, and I, but, you know, I head out to DC and my kids are grown, so it's not quite as bad, but, you know, so we spend more time in DC. Um, I will say that, you know, in the legislature, it was a five month session and I kept thinking, you know, when does session end? And it, in Congress, it doesn't end. <laughs> so, but it, it certainly has been, uh, you know, there's, I've had 
since I had some experience, you know, there was things that weren't surprising, but you know, it is, there are new issues that I've got to deal with that we never dealt with on the state level. So it's a steep learning curve and um, really enjoying it. And there's a lot more people to get to know too, because the seventh district is a lot bigger than the, uh, than the Senate district I, I represented. But I will say, you know, one of the biggest surprises when I got to DC is that there are nice, there are nice people there. And just so I met a few of the nice people. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, so really, um, really having, um, you know, a good time getting to know people and know who you can rely on and um, just, and really representing the people of the seventh district. I just feel real strongly that they needed a, they needed a strong voice um, and uh, people that, that shared their concerns and their, and their beliefs. And so working hard to do that for them. Yeah. Can we look ahead to 2022? Um, That's so weird about, to say. About potentially a potential change in leadership in Washington to, you know, I mean, right now it's, it's ruled by the Democrats and, and it's, you know, I, I, I spent enough time in Washington, Michelle, to understand that, you know, you don't run committees, so you really don't control the agenda. Um, are you optimistic for uh, the chances of a little bit of a turnover in 2022? I am very optimistic about it. Um, I think that there are, there are some, you know, there are serious things that are going on um, right now and being pushed through that I think the American people see as a real problem. And I think that they are waking up and they're, they are seeing the kind of agenda that the Democrats, Nancy Pelosi, Joe Biden want to push. And I think they're recognizing that it's not good for our future, for their future, you know, for their pocketbook. I mean, you look at inflation. Um, you look at the kinds of things that have been going on since the Biden administration has taken over and Nancy Pelosi has been pushing through Congress. I, I look, I, I think that uh, 2022, which does sound weird to say, uh, but 2022 will be a good year. I think, I think that people see what's going on and want to change. Yeah, there is, I think, a sense out here that uh, the people in Washington are just a little bit out of touch with mainstream America right now. Yep. Yep. I absolutely, I would agree. I think people are catching on to that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, so Michelle, what's, what are you looking forward? What's the next six months look forward, you know, for you, what are, what's on your agenda, your motivation? Well, you know, we've been looking a lot at, um, you know, I think one of the things that I talk a lot about because I is strong rural communities and, and, you know, electricity is part of that, you know, healthcare and a big one broadband and we have been really focused on um, broadband issues and making sure that it's delivered across you know not only in my district in rural Minnesota but across uh, the rural areas of America because that is something that will attract people to to rural Minnesota so those strong rural communities are something I'm really looking at because it's not just you know we've got a great ag industry and we got to keep them strong but they also need employ uh, employees and uh, we need to make sure that we uh, we have the kinds of things they have available um, you know that they want that attracts them there the quality of life issues that attracts them there um, available to them. And that includes healthcare, that includes education, it includes broadband. So those are the kinds of things that I'm going to be, you know, continuing to focus on um, in the next upcoming months. Keep using those terms, reliability and baseload and those kinds of things too. Okay. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> awesome. Well, it's just been a pleasure visiting with you, Michelle, and, and we can't thank you enough for your work and 
and kind of your um, everything you do on a day-to-day basis. I don't know how, how you do it. I would be exhausted, but man, you sure keep that fire in, in Minnesota and we just appreciate the work you're doing. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity just to talk to you a little bit today and, and please keep in touch. If you ever see anything that we're doing crazy, you let me know. (laughs) Well, thanks so much, Michelle. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to another episode of Mind, America's Lignite Energy podcast. For more information on Lignite Energy in North Dakota, visit lignite.com.